0: We are in a series right now called This Way to Happiness. It's part of Philippians. What is really interesting about this title, This Way to Happiness, if you wanted to sum up Philippians, this would be a great title for this book. It's actually a book that is telling you in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trials, all of it, this is the way to continue to have happiness no matter what you're facing. The Bible over and over, teaches us a lot of lessons, but the simplicity of Philippians and the depth of Philippians point to what it means to be happy. We're in a series on this. Last week, Pastor Larry talked specifically about relationships, and those of you that are in relationships, you know that when it's bad, really can affect your happiness. Amen? So we really want to work on relationships. That was the first week of this series, because if, you're, if your relationship's having issues, it really kills happiness. So last week, the four points that Pastor Larry talked to us about were these. And I want you to say out loud the part that's underlined, all right? This will be very complicated. It's an activity for this morning. When it comes to the people in my life, I will be grateful. I will be grateful for them, and I will be praying for them, and I will be expecting the best from them, and I will be loving loving toward them. Amen. Amen. He said, growing healthy relationships brings happiness into my life. That's one of the biggies. That's one of the ones we want to keep in front of you, continue to work on that. Now today, we're going to talk about four happiness killers. Things that absolutely take the joy and pull it out of you. In fact, I gave you this little uh, stress ball on your way in. Hopefully you all got one of these. Hold them up. You have them? Yes. We're going to talk about four happiness killers. And if one of these happiness killers that pops up, if it's a killer in your life, something that actually is happening to you, I want you to squeeze it in that moment. Say, yes! Yes! That is one of those things, and I want you to symbolically imagine that that, that moment, that killer is going into this little guy, and he's taken all of that from you. And I know it's not actually what happens with a stress ball, but I want you to imagine that and think about that. We're going to do an interactive service and keep you engaged, and I want you to continue through the entire sermon. Whenever a point is really hitting you, squeeze this. And if it's really touching you, you can throw it at me and say, yes, pastor, that is exactly, exactly what I'm facing. Don't actually, don't actually do it. Some of you are like, okay, you just gave me permission. First one is pain. Pain is a happiness killer. The little ball up in the corner is to remind you to squeeze it in that moment. Don't throw it. Squeeze it in that moment. But pain, it's hard to be happy if you have pain in your life, right? It's hard to continue to push forward when every move you make is causing more pain in your life. That is a happiness killer. Picky people are a happiness killer. It's hard to be happy when you've got these people that just keep picking at you, and everything that you do, they just continue to nag or whatever. Pressure is a happiness killer. I feel so bad for some of you. I hear your pressure, the pressure that you deal with daily, on a daily basis. Problems are a happiness killer. It's hard to be happy when you've got such serious (laughs) problems in your life that you're dealing with. I understand. Okay, maybe not like that, but you've got these problems that are continuing to bother you. What's crazy is that in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, Paul talks about these four specific issues, and in the midst of talking about it, he tells us exactly how to overcome and stay happy in the midst of those problems. I love it. Now, I want you to know, as Paul is writing this, he's sitting in prison. That's an important side note, to know where he is when he's writing this message, that's uh, it. just blows my mind that he's in prison, and he's already, he's already had every reason why he could let the happiness be taken away from him. Two, the years before, he was in prison as well. For two years, he was in that prison in Caesarea under false charges. Then when they sent him to prison in Rome, he has a shipwreck. So any of you dealing with shipwrecks, you can then squeeze the ball. That's what that reminder is up there shipwrecks. I mean, literally shipwrecks, not like, you know, mental ones that are going on. Then he ends up on this desert island in the Mediterranean Sea. There he's bitten by a poisonous snake. So he's got some snake issues causing more pain, more sickness. And then finally, when he gets to Rome, they shackle him to a guy 24-7. So for the next remainder of his life, he's shackled to someone. That's how they did the prison system. He's shackled to a guy for the rest of his time in prison. He's got every reason, every reason to be angry, to let the the happiness go, to be like God, I'm following your plan. I chose your way. I'm preaching your word. And this this is what I this is the life that I have shipwrecks and snakes biting me and almost dying, and now I'm shackled to this guy, that would be rough. But here's what he says. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ." And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is... it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the face so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, which is what happens, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's the part we don't like. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In this passage, Paul mentioned them. He mentioned four killers, four absolute killers and how to deal with them. Paul said to the people in his life, whatever happens, whatever, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. So today, we're going to look at how to stay happy like Paul did, no matter what happens. In your notes, I want to encourage you to pull those out pull out your notes, and if you're on the aisle, there's some baskets there. Will you grab those full of pens and then pass them down your aisle so that everyone has a pen for your notes? But in your notes, I want you to write this down. No matter what happens, choose to look beyond your problem. When most of us are hit with a problem, one of these happiness killers, our tendency as human beings is to zero in on that problem. Everything is about that problem. The whole world is about that problem. It's like we think the world knows exactly what we're dealing with because nothing else can really get in there. We're dealing with that on a daily basis. We feel that on a daily basis. To look beyond it and know that there's something more, it's really difficult. We have to train ourselves to say there's more to life than this particular problem. Those who experience the greatest joy, the greatest happiness in life are those who look beyond their current problems. They look beyond their current problems to God's bigger plan in their life. No matter what happens in your life, God's plan is bigger. He'll take all that stuff that happens, all the the struggle, even the failures, the sin. He died for those too. When he died on the cross, it was also for those sins and those failures and all that stuff that you don't want to talk about and you don't want to bring it up. In all of that, he says... I still have a plan for you, and I still have happiness for you. Look beyond your current situation, what you feel, everything in the past. Look beyond it and know that I have a plan for you. That is a key. Uh, Paul knew this, and he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened, everything, circle that in your Bible, everything, underline it in your Bible, everything that has happened, the bad, the struggle, the things that you didn't want on the way, the things you don't want to look back at, you don't want to remember anymore, everything that happened to me has helped spread the good news. You can use all of it as you move forward with Christ's plan in your life. All of it. Let me explain what's going on here for Paul. Paul had a dream. And he all, you can read it in other places, had a dream of preaching to Rome. If you knew Rome in this time period, it was the center of the universe. There's no city like Rome today because we have too many big cities. This universe that they were in, this world that they were in, Rome was it. The entire world revolved around whatever Rome said. So in his mind, you can see it. Because if we do it too, he imagined himself renting out the Colosseum and coming in a, in a harvest crusade for six months and preaching with TVs around the sides, banked out towards the city. When he wanted this dream of preaching to Rome, you can imagine what it was in his head. And he always talked about it one day. I'm going to Rome and I'm going to preach in Rome. But how did it actually come about? He came to Rome and he was put in prison and chained to a guard. This royal prison. In his mind, that cannot have been the plan. But this is where he was. And as you as you look at that scenario, he's chained to this, this 24-7 palace guard for two years. In those two years, the way it works is every four hours, they would change out the guard. So every four hours, he had a new guy there chained in which he could witness to. And I ask you, who was the real prisoner in that situation? (laughs) Because he, you know, he preached. So he had, it was 4,380 sharing opportunities. 4,380 times to share the word with this guy that could not get away. It's kind of awesome. Soon we see that Paul is talking to the entire court of Caesar's palace. That would never have happened in a harvest crusade. I know Paul, in his mind, had a plan. But God put him in a scenario to reach people that never would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people who actually could affect the world. And as he's stuck, as he's stuck in this prison, can't move, what does he begin to do? He begins to write. And he writes Romans First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Timothy, first and second Thessalonians. Most of the New Testament came in this moment. In the moment when he is stuck. In the moment in which he says, God, why am I here? Why is this your plan when I follow you? Why, why is this my scenario is when he begins to write Most of the New Testament, the New Testament that went way beyond Rome. We're talking about it today. We are affected by it. We are moved by it. The world has been changed by the writings of a man who just kept following God and looked beyond the current moment and said, God, this is where I am, and began to write. This is why Paul says, I want you to know, Dear brothers and sisters, that everything, everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. He says, I had my plan, but God's plan was bigger. And Paul was happy because he knew that God was doing his plan. Whatever problem you're in right now, whatever you're facing, that difficult moment that you're in, look beyond that problem and see the bigger plan. And when you're in the midst of that problem, Choose to look beyond it and understand that God is impacting lives with what you're facing. In your notes, it says, it's a witness to non believers. Paul says this, for everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Why do they know that? Because he told them every day as he was stuck in chains and he was doing it for Christ. The, these non believers were moved. Nero's family became Christian because they were he was stuck to them. Non-believers were absolutely blown away by this. Over 4,000 times he could share who Christ was. Second, it's an encouragement to the believers. Paul said, and because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. That's so true. When we'll look beyond our current problems... When we look beyond what we're dealing with, people notice. They they look at us and they say, I can't believe as you're facing all of that, you're still following Christ. You still love God in the midst of that. That's amazing. How much more can I do? How much more can I step up? I got to step up more. It changes the lives of believers as you're faithful, no matter what you're facing. A friend of mine in Sacramento called me a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know what, my daughter... My daughter still prays every night to God and says, thank you that Nate is alive today. And those of you who don't know, Nate is my son. Uh, I told this in another sermon, but he he was in the hospital for nine days, so close to death. He had a very advanced case of pneumonia and water was all in his lungs and we weren't sure what was going to happen. So we had everyone possible praying. We had everyone I knew in the world praying. And in that moment... There was so much that was going on. People were coming into that room praying constantly. Doctors, nurses, everyone we were talking to about God. So unbelievers were hearing it. But believers, this little girl, when he told me this, this is two years ago. And he tells me a couple weeks ago that his daughter still, part of her faith journey, part of her prayers to God, She what she draws on as a way for her to grow closer to God is the fact that she saw God working in this moment two years ago. So that's what she continues to remind God and say, thank you, thank you for Nate, that he's alive today. In our faithfulness, unbelievers are reached, believers are reached when we can look beyond your problems. Second in your notes, choose to control your attitude. Paul talks about four types of people. You're going to need the stress ball for this one. Because three of these people are not very good, uh, the first group is some will come along and criticize you paul said it 's true that some preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome you ever read you ever read on on social media or blog sites, and you see people criticizing other Christians and other ministries and things like that and i 'm always reading that going. What why? I don't understand why you would even take the time to write that essay about why this other group's wrong around you. The the jealousy and the criticism out there is unbelievable. And those of you that have stepped up in any sort of way or anything you do, you know there's those people that just constantly are there just in your life to criticize you, just tell you everything wrong with you, even as you're facing problems, they get to point it out to you and just clarify it for you. Isn't that great? But the truth is, we don't need other people's permission to be happy. You don't need that. If they're unhappy, that's their choice. But you can control your attitude towards them. You choose your happiness level. Next, there's going to be some comrades with you. These are the good guys. These are the friends. Paul says, others preach from genuine goodwill. These do so out of love. And they know God's given me the work of defending the gospel. He's saying, these guys, do the right things, they make the right decisions, they're doing it for the right reasons, and he's thankful for them. The next group is some will compete with you. Some will see what you're doing. They see how you're doing with work or family or your neighborhood, your house, whatever. It seems like people will compete over anything. It could be the dumbest thing, but someone's out there saying, I can do it a little bit better. I can make a little bit money. I can have a little bit more authority. I can do it somehow. They just want to compete Paul said, others preach Christ insincerely from a spirit of selfish ambition. Even in the pastoral world, I know this will be a surprise, but there's some competition between churches and other ministries and pastors out there. It's a little bit silly, but it's always going to be there. There will always be those people that are competing with you no matter what you choose to do. And if they're unhappy, that is their choice. You have to choose happiness so you can be that way, but I choose to control my attitude, to control my decisions, to control how I'm going to respond, because I choose happiness. And some will conspire against you. These are the really bad guys. These are the ones that when you're down and hurting and in pain, they come along just to kick you and make sure you really feel it. I want to make sure you feel it. <laughs> Paul says, others just want to stir up more trouble for me and add to my pain While I'm in prison, it's like, you won. I'm in prison. And they still come along and add more to it. It's like some people were created just to make you crazy. Like, they are literally there for that reason. But you have to choose. You choose whether or not their unhappiness is going to make you unhappy. You choose whether or not you are going to be happy. Paul said, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether for right or wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared. So I am happy, and I will continue to be happy. I love that. I love how he says it. It's so simple. I'm not going to let those that are my critics, my competitors, my conspirators, not, they're not going to control my attitude. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and I'm going to be happy doing it. No matter what happens, no matter what people say or do, They cannot control my attitude towards it. Paul said, be fearless. No matter who opposes you, it will be a sign to them of their downfall that God is with you and that he will save you. So no matter what happens, we have to choose to look beyond our problems, choose to control our attitude, and in your notes, choose to trust God. You have a choice. You have a choice whenever these killers come along a choice whether or not you're going to let, let it go. You can distrust God and not believe he's with you in that moment, or you can trust him and say, God is with me. This is the faith factor when I have faith that God is with me and taking care of me. Paul said it like this, I will continue to rejoice for I know that as you pray for me and as the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, all that's happened will all turn out for my deliverance. In that one verse, he gives us four ways Four ways of strength in times of trouble. He says, he, God, responds to prayers for me. He responds to prayers for you. It's one of the reasons that at the end of the sermon, we always make a big deal about the card at the bottom of the notes. We want you to fill that out, and we want you to write prayer requests because this is a family. And part of a family is knowing that we're all praying for each other and we're working through these issues together. And that brings encouragement. That's the encouragement that he's speaking of. I know that my church family is praying for me and that help is on the way. He could stay happy because his spirit helps you. This is when you become a Christ follower, when you accept Christ in your life, you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you don't know how that works, but somehow it's within you. And that Holy Spirit is going to come up every time we need it. So in the midst of the problem, I know that people are praying for me, but I also know that the Spirit is within me. I can call upon the strength knowing that it dwells within me. It's not very far away. It's within me. I can draw on that every time, every time one of these killers shows up. And I can stay happy because he delivers you. Paul said, all that has happened will all turn out for my deliverance. In other words, everything, all that's happened, all the stuff, the junk, the, the the crud, all that stuff, I know in the end I will be delivered. And that he is here to deliver me. And I can trust in God. I can rejoice in my God in the midst of the tough stuff. I know that people are praying for me. I know the spirit is dwelling within me. And I know that God is going to deliver me. Paul said, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. No matter what happens, I choose to look beyond my problems. I choose to control my attitude, and I choose to trust God. And finally, in your notes, I choose to live out my purpose even when life can be falling apart, I know there's a purpose. There's no better writer for this. Think about his scenario. Picture it. At this point in his life, he's very old. Maybe not as old as that skeleton on the screen, but very, very old. And he's in prison. All his friends, you can't get, you can't get around family, friends, they're gone. And he chooses to live out his purpose and say, God, still has a purpose for me, and I'm going to live it out. Viktor Frankl was this Jewish psychiatrist. He was taken to the death camps in Nazi Germany. All of his family and friends were gassed, or being gassed and killed, and he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning afterwards. And he writes this, I remember one day when we stood in front of the Gestapo stark naked. They'd taken away our clothes. They'd even had taken away my wedding ring. I stood there with nothing at all. All of a sudden, I realized there was one thing they could not take away from me. It was my choice in how I would respond. Nobody could take that away from me. I cannot control what other people do to me. I cannot control what other people do around me. But I can control how I respond. And right here in in Philippians, Paul says, I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to stay focused to the purpose in which I was created. I know why I was created, and I will live out that purpose. Paul says, if by continuing to live, I can do more worthwhile work for Christ, then I am not sure which I should choose. He has a dilemma that I think many of us do. I'm pulled in two directions. I want very much to leave this life and be with Christ. We're excited about what that is, which is a far better thing. But for your sake... It is much more important that I remain alive. I am sure of this. So I know that I will stay on with you all so I can add to your progress and joy in the faith. Paul has a purpose for living and dying. He has a purpose for living. He could stay happy because he had chosen to live out that purpose. And either way, he'd be serving Jesus Christ. Paul said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain One of the most incredible verses of the entire Bible. And the question I want to leave you with today, if somebody came up to you and said, fill in this blank, for me to live is blank. What would you write there? What would you say? A lot of people would say, for me to live is sports. I live for sports. I love sports or money or clothes. That wouldn't be mine, but some people clothes would be a big one. Family. Friends, in fact, there's a lot of really good things we could put in there, a lot of great things that most of the world would say, yeah, that's awesome, that's what that person lives for. But nothing deserves that place except the one who created you, the one who gave his life for you, the one that says you have a purpose, the one that said you are a masterpiece, I have created you, and I have something so special for you. Nothing should take that place but Christ. For me to live is Christ. All the other things we'd put into that blank, they come and go so often. And every time they go, we feel sort of empty again. If we're honest and we think through it. It's like a wave of the ocean coming in and out. We feel good and then we feel bad. We feel good and then we feel bad. Because we filled that line with something that sort of feels good at the moment, but continues to go back and forth on us. The only thing is the thing that was there from the beginning, the thing that said they would be there forever, the thing that said they would be within you. The only thing like that that will last forever, that we put in that blank, will be Christ. For me to live is Christ. No matter what happens, to stay happy, I choose to look beyond my current problems. I choose to control the attitude of those that come against me. I choose to trust in God and have faith no matter what. And I choose to live out my purpose in which I was created for. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Paul. There's no way he knew what he was doing. As he sat in that prison and he wrote letters to churches that were struggling and trying to get started in difficult places, there's no way that he knew as he wrote these words that it would be so difficult dynamic, and would absolutely change the world we live in forever, that we'd be speaking of these things and it would be affecting us today. That's someone, God, that chose to look beyond their current problems and say, you still have a plan. God, help us to be like that. Help each one of us in this room to know that you have a purpose no matter what we face, no matter what the scenario If you can do all of that with Paul, that you're also doing something with us. And it could have world implications. God, use us in this manner. Give us the strength and the courage to stand boldly and know that you have a plan. You have a purpose. We love you and we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.